Welcome to KYH2O, a podcast about all things water in Kentucky. I'm Carmen Agaritas, an Extension Associate Professor in the Biosystems and Agricultural Engineering Department at the University of Kentucky. And I'm Amanda Gumbert, an Extension Specialist for Water Quality with the University of Kentucky Cooperative Extension Service. Join us as we get our feet wet exploring Kentucky's water resources. All right, well, we're back. Carmen, how are you doing today? Doing great, Amanda. How are you doing? I'm good. Um, I got to go on a little adventure a few weeks ago, Carmen. We went on a canoe trip on Paint Lake Creek. And I wish I was there. It sounded like a fantastic fantastic trip. It was very entertaining from a variety of um, perspectives to say the least. So we um, uh, ventured out on a um, really beautiful Sunday um, in early May um, and we had gotten a little bit of rain um, prior to. So the day before I guess was actually derby weekend and so um, it rained. Of course most of our listeners probably know it was a sloppy derby this spring and so it rained and um, but the day after Paintlet Creek was uh, full of water as you might imagine and so we met up with the Garrett County Judge Executive Mr. John Wilson and um, he was interested in seeing what we had to offer um, as in natural resources um, in County. I've been particularly interested in the Paintlet Creek for some time and also I want to survey the environmental impact of the runoff in this area especially with uh, respect to litter and there's been a lot of attention recently on plastics and how those are affecting our waterways and a lot of those plastics start here on land inland and in the United States and in other countries and then make their way out into the ocean and so these microplastics and how they're broken down and I'd like to see really what the state of our waterways are here in Geard County. So Carmen are you familiar with microplastics at all? I've heard a little bit about microplastics. My understanding is they're plastics that are very small, so say like a five millimeter in diameter or size or smaller, and they may be things that are associated with um, manufacturing. So they could be something that's um, primarily produced like for scrubbing or something like that, or it could be even stuff that wears and tears like our tires or even plastic bottles that break down over time. Yeah, something else that I learned about microplastics, which was a little concerning, is sometimes we have products that we use in the home that have, that may be like soaps or cleansers, um, maybe even like face scrubs or body scrubs or whatever that have these little beads in them um, to scrub our skin clean. And those things are considered microplastics. So that's a little bit um, strange to think about. Um, but those things do get in our waterways um, and sometimes um, once they're in, the in our streams and rivers, our water treatment plants don't necessarily have the equipment to filter those out um, or otherwise get them out of our water. So there is the risk that that can move into our bodies, back into our bodies, after we've used it and, and the water goes through that treatment cycle. So that's a little concerning and I think that's what John was really wanting to visit on is to see how much plastic there was out in the environment. So as we started our um, our ad little adventure, um, we were, it was pretty, pretty interesting. The, the folks who were paddling with us, uh, it was my husband and I, and we had decided to take our three-year-old son. So I was a little nervous even to begin with just because of that, because you never know what a three-year-old's gonna do in a canoe. Um, and then John and his two teenage daughters, and then another friend of ours from Garrett County. And so it was just a really uh, beautiful day. And let's listen to what John has to say about kind of the, the scenery as we got started. Well, 
absolutely beautiful. It just couldn't be a more pretty day. Blue skies. It's, the temperature's beautiful. The water was refreshing as it kind of splashed up on us. But uh, very pretty. The water. Um, it's just very pretty. A lot of wildlife and uh, not too much trash, thankfully. I was very pleased about that. So one of the important environmental topics that I think we learn about as kids and, and then maybe as adults we don't think about so much is really about litter and not littering. I know I learned as a kid to not litter, not to throw things out of out of the car window. Um, and But you know, if you're out and about in Kentucky, there's still places that there's a lot of litter along our roadsides. And um, all of our communities, um, I think all of our municipalities or um, local governments do have some sort of plan for solid waste disposal. One thing that we were interested in learning on our, our trip was to see how much of that litter that might have been thrown out on the roadsides was actually getting into the stream. Um, and so um, one of the things too that um, Judge Wilson mentioned, and I think other communities really are getting serious about, is enforcement of litter. So if they actually see someone littering or they learn of a dump or something like that, they will um, utilize their, um, their right to enforce that and to prosecute folks for littering. Um, so the other thing too to remember is that our waterways can really um, serve as, as transportation methods, I guess, for litter that gets off of the roadways, may blow in or wash in from rainfall. Um, and so that's something else that we really need to, to pay attention to. And, and litter, you know, as you mentioned, it can get there intentionally when people throw stuff out, but a lot of times it also can get there unintentionally. So when you put something in the back of your truck, you may not think about, well, I'm, I'm driving down the road, the wind is moving back there and it blows out. Or when you put your trash into a garbage can, if you don't bag it up, then inadvertently, sometimes it can come out of the garbage truck. So those are things that, you know, we just have to, I think, recognize that we have to put it into a trash receptacle, but we have to do it in such a way that it's, it's somewhat secure. And you're very right. Our, our streams are kind of that transportation system. In our storm sewer system, so all those grates and inlets and things like that you have on the road, it's just a quick way to get trash and whatever else may be um, on the side of the road, sediment or, or any kind of pollutant like that, to the waterways, they get there really quickly. And I think picking up litter is an <clears throat> is an easy way for folks to, if they want to do something positive for the environment, it's a really quick and easy thing to do. And Carmen, I've seen you out on stream projects and you always have a trash bag with you. And I really admire that because every time I've been out with you, I look around and Carmen's pulling out a trash bag and she's picked up, you know, half a bag of trash already sometimes. Um, and so it's really important to do that. And also to remember that a lot of the stuff that's litter is recyclable. So if you can, you take a recycling bag, you take a trash bag, and you kind of sort that out as you go. Um, so anyway, and the other thing is that is important, I think, is to involve young people. Well, we have found, just in my experience, I've been judge executive for 12 years, and youth play a tremendous role. And quite frankly, you know, the, the adage that it's hard to teach an old dog new tricks, what we have found where we have sent people into the schools to teach about recycling and these litter initiatives, what will happen is an elementary school child will tell their grandfather, don't throw that out the window, or hey, we recycle these. And so that 
has the cumulative effect of making the change. So my children, matter of fact, they didn't want to come to the tree planting on this past weekend. They weren't very excited, but after we did it, they said, Dad, that was a lot of fun. And they had an, op an opportunity to learn. And as we come down past here in future years, they'll see those trees growing and that they had a hand in that. And to learn how that does affect um, their community in the future is really exciting. Okay, so um, the first part that we just heard um, from John was before we got on the water. So we had we were standing under the bridge on Kentucky 52 as it goes over Paintlet Creek. And um, so that's where we were interviewing. So we got in the boats and we paddled for probably, oh, an hour, hour and a half. And then we got out and had a nice little picnic lunch. Uh, which was really fun and um, and then we um, probably paddled for another hour or so and then we got out and um, and some of us decided that our trip was done for the day some of our young people that were with us were pretty well over it and so let's listen to what John has to say as we recap that first part of the trip well we saw a lot of turtles we saw some we saw a woodpecker some wood ducks hawks we saw several geese. We saw a snake. But this really is an untapped treasure right here so close to home in central Kentucky that so few people know about. And it's really a shame because um, even myself, being an elected official right from this area, probably was not as aware of the absolute natural beauty that we have right here so close to home. But the Paintlet Creek, I think, is probably one that is you know this is what some people call these blue line uh, streams or uh, blue line waterways and uh, it's a shame that more people are not taking advantage of this because quite frankly it was very easy to put in here and it was very easy to put to take out and really just unspoiled natural beauty i'm, I'm really still taken aback by what we saw today so we just heard john talk about um how there are all these really great opportunities in our own backyards and and people often are more comfortable hiking and being you know on solid on solid ground and uh, but there are also lots of opportunities to get out so we really want to encourage people to take advantage of their local waterways and look for places where they could get in the creek um, maybe there's not a designated um, public access but lots of times if you ask home or landowners they would be happy to let you access a stream and um, especially around bridge abutments that kind of thing where it's kind of that thin line between public private access um, another thing that john mentions um, is blue line streams so carmen tell us a little bit about blue line streams sure so blue line streams are actually if, if you looked at um, a topographic map so say a map that maybe the kentucky geologic survey has or the u.s geological survey has and you look on that map and you'll see lots of lines of where the topography is so hills and valleys but on there you'll also see these blue lines and the blue lines represent streams uh, the blue lines that are on there if they're solid blue lines they're perennial streams and by that we mean streams that are flowing year-round occasionally you'll see dotted blue line or dashed blue lines and those were what the cartographer or the map maker thought were intermittent streams so those streams that flow just part of the year so when he refers to blue line streams He's really referring to what a map maker interprets as a stream that flows all year. There's also blue line trails, and I think maybe um, you know John kind of refers to that also. Um, but I know, especially around the Kentucky River and the Kentucky River segments, are part of those blue line trails. Um, those are. It, I guess a kind of a recent development in terms of establishing those, um, but it's 
it's a really great opportunity for folks to go out, explore our natural resources, maybe in a little different way, um, especially if they have their own boats. And maybe if they don't have their own boats, which we did on our trip, we all had our own boats. Um, and all of us had been in those boats before. So we kind of caution folks to not just go and you know jump on a creek that they aren't familiar with if they've never been in their boat, but maybe to go somewhere where they're comfortable or they um, or someone else with them has been on that water before. But do you know of any places where folks could go and like outfitters or something like that in central Kentucky that they could explore um, streams or rivers or lakes for that matter? So in Central Kentucky, there's a lot of groups near Frankfurt. Uh, so you think of like the, the Elkhorn, um, there's folks around Kentucky River, so you can canoe Kentucky and lots of things like that. Uh, there's also groups in the western part of the state. So if you're in the western part, there's obviously the lakes and other streams down there that you could do, like the green or the salt. Um, and then when you get to the eastern part of the state as well, there's other outfitters. So quite honestly, if you just did a quick Google search about canoeing in Kentucky, or you know, rafting in Kentucky, you'll probably come up with quite a number of outfitters. Yeah, I know there's some um, ra rafting, you mentioned rafting, I know there's some um, of those around Cumberland Falls. I've never done that, it sounds pretty fun. But, Whitewater rafting is one of my favorite things. To yeah, um, I've been a couple of other places, but I haven't been there. And um, I know in even in eastern Kentucky, in um, Breathitt County, they have a city park that will let folks go and rent canoes from them. And I think they even offer a shuttle service. So that's something else to remember. If you're out canoeing, you are going to have to have a shuttle of some sort so started. that you can get back to where you started. Because paddling upstream is not always fun or possible for that matter. And let's hear what John has to talk about um, as we discuss what we saw um, on that first segment of the stream. Interestingly enough, most of the trash I saw it appeared to be agricultural trash, you know, farming trash. And one of the things that you could also notice was a lot of the uh, erosion issues were maybe due to probably not the best land use practices in that area. and. You know, one of the people on the trip made a statement that, you know, if, as that erosion happens, you're just giving land to your neighbor further downstream. And you could even see that maybe where the trees had been cleared and, uh, you know, where those trees have been cleared and they're farming right up to the banks of the creek, there's pretty heavy erosion. And you could see where the, the stream, you know, had actually eroded back, you know, quite a bit of land in those areas. So maybe some education for landowners along the, the uh, riverbank and the stream bank to help, um, you know, kind of institute some best practices, conservation practices. And maybe the that's maybe a good uh, idea for the extension offices uh, around in each county to, to address those things. Amanda, on your trip with John, he spent quite a bit of time talking about trash related agricultural practices. And in my head, and I think a lot of people's head, we tend to think about trash with urban areas, not necessarily so much ag areas. Right. Um, and Carmen, it was actually pleasantly surprising how little trash we saw on the trip. Um, I've paddled a couple of places and I've seen lots of floatable trash. That's kind of common for urban areas. And by floatables, I mean, um, obviously things that float, but things Soda like bottles, soft, wrappers, yeah, soft like drink that. bottles, you know, chip wrappers, that kind of sometimes your random kickball, you know, those kind of things. Um, we really didn't see much of that, but what we did see caught up in some of the stream bank vegetation was plastic sheeting, like really big, long pieces of plastic that most likely were from agricultural operations. Like hay bales. Right. So sometimes, you know, when folks um, do a roll bale of hay and then they wrap it up in that white plastic, um, 
when they feed the, the hay, they have to do something with that plastic. And a lot of times, or you know, and there are other uses for ag plastics too, but a lot of times, you know, if you're on the farm and you have to unroll something like that and you unwrap it, you know, farmers tend to maybe just pile it somewhere and that somewhere might be close to a stream. And then when we have those heavy rainfall events, you know, that, that plastic can wash off or if it's flooding and if it floods into that field and the water washes that plastic off. Uh, we actually saw an agricultural sprayer that obviously had been washed in. I don't think anybody just pushed their ag sprayer over the, the stream bank because that's pretty expensive if they did that. Um, but it was lodged like in the middle of the stream. And so, um, you know, those are the things that we saw a lot of as far as trash. And those things sometimes are kind of hard to get out of the stream too, once they're in. You know, one of the things that we promote and one of the ways we encourage our farmers to um, do better practices for water quality is to utilize practices in the Kentucky Ag Water Quality Act. And that Kentucky Ag Water Quality Act um, says that if you own 10 acres or more that are involved in agriculture, you need a water quality plan. And that water quality plan includes best management practices. So one of those things might be restricting livestock access from streams. And so we saw a couple of places um, where we were up close and personal with some cows um, who had um, obviously full access to the stream and they were using that as their water source. And um, while that's not completely illegal, we encourage our farmers to restrict access by those animals um, so that we don't have what we call direct deposits into the stream. So um, urine, so you, yes, so urinating, defecating right into the stream. That's a direct deposit of bacteria and nutrients. Um, but also, when animals are, are walking up and down a stream bank, just that foot traffic can cause lots of erosion. Um, and so what we try to do is encourage farmers to do alternative practices, so put in fencing um, or restrict that access somehow. And there are cost share programs to help farmers pay for that. Well, I would submit to you that it's a financial burden not to do those, because if we're really concerned about acreage and you're losing acreage by this erosion, you know, really it's in your best interest if you own land along the stream bank to institute these best practices I would, I would it would appear to me so in a you know Carmen in addition to doing good things um, for our landscape and for the environment um, you know being outside is really good for us as humans also um, so let's listen and and hear John say a few things about what his perspective is on being outside and our overall health you know, earlier this week I hiked at the Tom Dorman Nature Preserve and I was the only person there the whole time. It's right here in Garrett County, has beautiful views, sweeping views of the Palisades along the Kentucky River. Again, it's just an untapped area and I think that really it's good for our physical health and our mental health to get out here and enjoy some fresh air and, and nature and uh, just to relax a little bit. And I know I'm out here with my daughters today and obviously your son and this is good for them too. I think this provides them a break from the uh, stresses of everyday life and I just think it's healthy this is this is part of our physical and mental health to be at on days like today so Carmen I mentioned that after I talked to John the second time um, my son and I um, decided to head on home and I took John's daughters with us as well and, and they went on home and um, so John and my husband Mark um, and another friend from Gary County continued on the trip and so their goal was to finish out the entire length of Paint Lake Creek from Paint Lake to the mouth at the Kentucky River. And how long was that? 
it was a long day. So when I finished talking to John, um, it was probably about 1.30 or 2 in the afternoon, and they still had uh, quite a ways to go. They had estimated that we had already gone about a third of the way. And so I started doing some math and I thought, man, they're going to have to move. And I think they did. They went pretty quick after after the, I guess, the young folks and we all left. They decided they could pick up pace a little. Um, but they ended up being on the water for nine hours. Nine hours. Nine hours. So um, let, let's hear what John has to say and and a couple days later. So I caught up with him a few days later. Um, we were back in Lexington and here's what he has to say about the trip overall. Well, it was quite an adventure. We saw, you know, for one, the uh, the water picked up considerably for the second, uh, you know, two thirds of the trip. There were probably some class two and three rapids. Uh, at one point there was like a little two foot waterfall that we went over. The wildlife it increased exponentially. We saw a beaver that swam alongside with us. There were deer right along the banks of the river. At one point, we came over this little, uh, some little falls, and it just as we came over, a bald eagle flew right down low, right in between us. It oh, was really? incredible. Oh, yeah. Have uh, you seen a bald eagle? I have in uh, in uh, Alaska, not, oh, in not in Garrett County, Kentucky. Kentucky. So it was incredible seeing a bald eagle right there so close to home. And the other thing we saw were some waterfalls on the Garrett County side that kind of crested over, and they were the most beautiful waterfalls I've seen in Kentucky, just the water cascading right over the rock. and so um, tributaries coming into Paintley Creek. Yeah, and I didn't even know they existed. And they probably weren't as tall as maybe Yahoo Falls or, or some of the things at the gorge, but just the volume of water that was coming over and the way that it, it splashed. It, it, I like waterfalls, and it was very, it was, you know, you couldn't see it other than kayaking several hours down. Right, rather than being on the water. Right. So overall, it was a, almost a nine-hour trip from start to finish. Um, we started in the community of Paint Lick uh, and through the Madison and Garrett uh, line all the way to the Kentucky River. So, Carmen, you kind of have heard my side of the story, and now that you've listened to what Judge Wilson had to say, um, you know, as an outside person, what's your impression of our trip on Paint Lake Creek? It sounded like it was a lot of fun. So that was my first impression, and I wish I had gotten a chance to do that as well. Um, I was also struck by a few things, one being the amount of erosion that is associated where trees were removed. So the trees have a very important function for our streams, and I think it's on, Judge Wilson also recognized that, that if I have trees, I have less erosion. Um, I think also the fact that the, some of the litter that was present was associated with ag practices and just being aware that it's not just an urban issue, that trash is something we also see in agricultural lands. So I think that was important to recognize. And the other one probably that struck home with me the most is that we're all neighbors. And then what I do in upstream impacts my downstream neighbor. So I need to keep that in mind with how I manage my land or, or whatever I do out on, um, on my property, it can affect somebody else. I'll say that probably for me, the other um, highlight is that John is an elected official. And sometimes those are the folks that we as scientists and um, 
you know, water resource managers and, and whoever who's really passionate about some particular um, topic, those are the folks that we're usually trying to get to pay attention to what we're focused on. And um, I think we're really lucky in Central Kentucky to have somebody like John, um, who is an elected official, who's passionate about our environment and how, um, what we're doing to that environment for future generations. And so, um, I was excited to hear that uh, maybe he can share that experience with some of his peers as well. You know, Amanda, coming from your house, you could be at the Tom Dupree Nature Preserve or the Tom Dorman Nature Preserve or Sally Brown, where we have some absolutely sweeping views of the Kentucky Palisades in Garrett County. You can be there from your house just as quickly as you can be at the Raven Run um, Nature Preserve in Fayette County, just because of the way the traffic works. So, um, and you know, Raven Run is a great place with some great views, but a lot of times there's a lot of people there. So you can come down to Garrett County and, and um, you know, there's just it's something different and I, and I think a lot of hikers should do that but what we touched on last time is underutilized is these what we call the blue line trails as opposed to the hiking trail these are maybe a boating trail and I think that's what kind of what we experienced on Sunday and I hope that more people will take advantage of that and I know I'm going to you've been listening to Carmen Agaritas and Amanda Gumbert learn more about water at uky.edu forward slash BAE forward slash KYH2O. Subscribe to hear all episodes of KYH2O.